0: Well, welcome everyone to the first of four sessions in our Newcomers Orientation, and uh, I want to start out, as I always do, by making sure everybody uh, knows each other, because uh, Lord willing, we'll all be in here for the four Sundays of June uh, together, and so this is, uh, well, in fact, I'll just let you guys introduce yourselves as we go around, okay? This is Bill and Andrea. Bill, uh, if, you guys will, if you'll introduce your family and uh, how many kids you have and all that. How many? <laughs> 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 He's we have four kids. Um, our oldest is 25, and she's married, and um, then three boys after that, 16, almost eight, and almost six. Okay. Very good. And you guys have been coming here I was for just about I how think long? it's been since September of last year. Okay. Yeah. Sounds about right. I think so. Yeah, I think it was so. when you started the marriage. That was September. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Right. <laughs> so Bill and Andrea. And then Ron? Yeah, my name's Ron, and my wife, Kim, and my son, Derek, and my daughter's out there somewhere. <laughs> She's and uh, we've been coming for a few months, and we used to come me the And, and uh, just excited about uh, getting back involved in the church again. The uh, Yeah, the carriers, Ron and Kim and Derek and Lydia, uh, attended our church, we're thinking, what, five years ago or so?
1: Round there, yeah. yeah
0: before we were in this building, uh, live out in Belleville, but decided, hey, we're going to make the drive and see if it's worthwhile or not. So, so far, it's been worthwhile, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Yes? I'm Emma Castle. My dad is a youth leader here, and we've been here since we were starting. I'm going to join him. Same All right. Hey.
1: And you are? And you are? Young lady. Yeah, who is that? <laughs>
0: I'm Anna Brown. And... <laughs> and I just graduated, so I'm planning on doing it. All right. Good deal. Glad to have you girls in here. And then uh, Frank? Frank and Janet McNabb. Um, I'm not going to tell you my kids' age I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 40 on down to whole uh, Anyways, three boys and a girl. Uh, six grandkids, and uh, we've been coming for a couple months from the funeral. So it's incredible for us. Good. That's Kelly. I'm Kelly. Um, Bridget goes here also. I have four children. Okay. A boy and three girls. And it's been a while. You've been coming for a while. will not be with her. With her, and now I'm here. Good. Glad you're here. And Bridget's in what grade? She was a junior. Junior. So she'll be a senior in the fall in high school? Okay, great. Hey, Moses. Moses, uh, I'm an international student. Uh, I don't have any kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a senior at Kettering University. I study mechanical engineering, and, uh, school, so. and uh, Moses uh, joined the church, uh, but he's got special circumstance with Kettering <clears throat> because uh, the way his education there goes, he's uh, there for a semester. Then he's off for a semester doing an internship. At a company. So are you at Delphi again yes. now? Okay. So he's done an internship at Delphi. He's doing that again. So this is the time period where he's not there. He's here doing that uh, doing that internship. And then in the fall, you'll go back to Flint. Uh, in the summer, actually, next, next month. Next month you'll go back. Yeah. Okay. So you'll see Moses for the next six weeks or so. And then uh, and then you won't see him, but that's why. He didn't get mad at us or anything. He's, he's being educated there in Flint. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Glad you guys are here. And you see on page one, introduction. And we say at the top, this class is designed to assist you as you decide whether CBC is the place for you and your family. That choice is a serious matter. It needs to be made prayerfully. And it should be a decision based on adequate information. So it's our prayer the Lord to grant you wisdom about your decision and we're trying to give you information to help you make that decision but we have no illusions that ours is the only uh, good church there are many that are faithfully carrying out the lord's work but we do believe we have a god-honoring church and uh, we provide a way for each member of your family to grow and serve so we'll hope that you'll see that in our four weeks uh, together if you have any questions as i go through here this uh, small format is very conducive to just yelling out and I'll be happy to try to answer any questions that you, that you have. But uh, you see the history of our church, and that history starts with us and our family because uh, 15 years ago, September 9 of uh, 2001, we had our, our very first service. So this September will be our 15-year anniversary mm-hmm. for the, the church. And that means that Annie and Emma, whose families were there in the beginning, were both about three at the time that our church uh, started. So this has been their church uh, all the way all the way through. I can't believe I'm saying that. The 15 <laughs> years has just gone so fast. But now we've got a group of kids who have grown up in our church, or at least for most of, most of their lives, this is the church that they've known. So we are now old enough that we're able to say that. But why did we start the church? Uh, we started the church because... Uh, we were involved with a a church in Flat Rock. In fact, uh, if you've been to our house, and I know some of you have, for our newcomer's orientation, but Huron Baptist Church in Flat Rock is right behind my house. Uh, So you can walk out my backyard and you can walk onto Huron's property. And we've lived there in Flat Rock since 91, and uh, since the mid-'80s, starting in the mid-'80s, we uh, were attending uh, Huron and involved there, and I was involved at all levels of ministry there. Youth guy, as I mentioned in the first hour, uh, deacon, then associate pastor. But all through that time, the pastor at that church, Pastor Steve Thomas, who is still there, had been preaching that it's God's desire for churches to multiply, for them to start other churches. And the people in that church had that mindset and looked forward to the time when we would be able to do that and uh, we did finally get to the point uh, in uh, in 2000, year 2000, that we thought we could break off some people to plant a, another church. But that was not supposed to be our, include our family. We were uh, going to stay at Huron, and the plan for us was to be on staff at Huron really uh, forever. We weren't planning on leaving. And we had a guy picked out to actually plant the church. And it had never occurred to me, never entered my mind to plant a church myself and certainly that we would be the church planters for this very first one out of our parent church. So how did that happen that we got kicked out of the church and ended up uh, planting, planting community? Well, what happened was the guy that we had picked out, uh, who was a wonderful fellow, but he had been a professor at a couple of Bible colleges. He had graduated from the same seminary that I did, that Pastor Thomas did, so we knew him very well, very, very good guy. But he was a professorial kind of guy, and that was okay with me, but a lot of people were coming to us and saying, you know, we really think uh, he's a wonderful guy, but we're not sure if he's a church planter, you know? because he's this professorial guy and and, and all of that and and how well he's going to be able to relate to people and all. But my response was just, okay, but he's the best we've got. (laughs) And I was in Dr. Combs' office. Have you guys all met Dr. Combs, who is now a member of our church as of one year ago? But this is going back 15 years ago, 16 years ago. I'm sitting in his office at the seminary, and he says the same thing. He says, "You know, you know that guy. I really like him. He's a great guy. But I don't. What do you think about him being a church planter?" I said the same thing. Well, who are we going to get? And Combs says, "I'm praying you'll do it." And I, I, I was just stunned because I had never thought about doing it. Now I won't bore you with everything that happened after that, but you can blame Combs for me being here. Okay? It's his fault. And then the Lord works it out all these years later, fifteen years later, for him to retire and for them to be here, and that's uh, just been a marvelous thing. So, the church uh, identified us then as the uh, planters, and we started the church in uh, 2001 with our family and three other three other families, uh, and we so we had a total of 11 people, counting the adu- that's the adults and the kids. We started with 11 11 people. Uh, but the Lord had prepared us providentially to do that because, as you see in the middle of page one there, I was raised in a Christian home. And my dad was a pastor, Pentecostal pastor. Uh, so I grew up Pentecostal. Um, some of you may know that. Maybe you've heard me say that. But uh, And what kind of Pentecostal? There are different kinds of Pentecostal. There are some Pentecostal churches that believe in the ongoing supernatural gifts of speaking in tongues, prophecy, and that kind of thing. But if you attend their church over a long period of time, you won't see it happen very much. So they're kind of mild Pentecostals. And then there are the Pentecostals where every week you see that kind of thing happen. So where were we? We were what I call the crazy Pentecostals, okay? <laughs> things were happening every week at our church. And when I say things, I mean prophecies, I mean speaking in tongues, I mean people getting slain in the spirit, if you know what that is. You People just falling in the aisles. So we uh, are what people are referring to when they say holy rollers. That was that was our church. And that's what I grew up with. But uh, my father, the pastor, died when I was 11. So my dad died at the young age of 48. His brother, my uncle, took over the church and became the pastor. So I was there my entire uh, childhood, all the way up to age 19. Uh, but how did I end up becoming a Baptist, uh, which is what we are? Well, the way it happened was my dad passed away, and then a couple of years later, as I was going to be moving from the elementary school in my town, which is, I grew up in Ecorse. And I tell people I grew up in E-Course and I live to tell about it, okay? But the high school in E-Course was a rough place uh, for people to be. Elementary school was okay. They didn't have a middle school, so you went elementary school to seventh grade. Eighth grade, you started at the high school. So as I was ready to enter eighth grade, my mom was really fretting about me going to the high school. And she didn't know where to send me. There's no Pentecostal schools around now there are some, but back in the mid 70s there weren't. The only private schools you really had at that time were Catholic schools. You had a few Lutheran schools. That was about it that we knew of. And a co-worker of my mom's at Wyandotte Hospital had two daughters that were going to Intercity uh, Christian School, it was called then. It's now the Intercity Baptist School. And she told my mom about it. And even though we lived in Ecorse and it was just in Allen Park, we had never heard of it. My mom checked into it and enrolled me there, and uh, that really changed the trajectory of my life to, to be there. Um, but uh, my mom said this to me, look, I'm going to send you there because it's better than e High School, but don't listen to what they tell you in Bible class. <laughs> and I said, don't worry, Mom, I won't. <laughs> but I came out of there a, a Baptist then, not a, not a Pentecostal. And my mom and I had a lot of discussions about about that. And ultimately, over uh, several years, my mom came convinced. She became a member of our church. And she died four years ago. My mom's with the Lord now. And I believe my dad is with the Lord as well, by the way. So just because we would disagree if my dad were here now, it doesn't mean I don't think he was a Christian or my uncle or any of those folks were not Christians. It was just uh, had a different view of some important issues in Scripture. So I graduated uh, from there, and I say that changed the trajectory of my life uh, because it changed uh, my view of truth. I was saved through the ministry, came to the Lord through the ministry of the school there. I got saved at age 19, but I also then met my later-to-be bride there. So Kim, who I haven't introduced yet, she's in the back here, and uh, her family had moved to Allen Park from Flint when Kim was going into her 10th grade 10th grade year and I had been there since 8th grade and in high school we never spoke to each other but it was after high school that a friend of mine said uh, hey I think Kim Crawford is back from college, she was going, attending a Christian college down in Florida I think she's back and I heard she's not going back and you ought to call her <laughs> and, uh, and I said to this friend so I tell the story every time and, that you'll, you'll hear in a moment that there's a dispute about this story. But here's the truth. Go with me on this. <laughs> that uh, I was told to call her, and I say to this friend of mine, she's not going to want to go out with me. And this friend's like, what? What do you mean? Why? You know, he, his view was any girl would want to go out with us, okay? <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? Why would you? I go, because we have a bad reputation at the at the Christian school. That's why. Because I got in a lot of trouble at the Christian school. Now it wasn't—it was trouble for being late. It was trouble for forgetting stuff. It was trouble for talking too much. It was that kind of trouble, but it was a lot of trouble. Uh, in fact, they had a demerit system. You know what those are? You get pieces of paper, and you can only get so many. And so, just—I had one semester where I had the limit, the max. If I get one more, I'm expelled. I had a month to go of school, one month to go, and I can't get a single demerit. Now, one more demerit. That whole month, I was begging teachers. Every time I got in trouble, look, I'm going to get kicked out of school. My mom is crazy; she will kill me if I get kicked out of school. So I gave them the sob story, and they bought it. And they didn't give me these demerits, and I made it. And I made it through school. And then the following semester, they had a parent-teacher conference, and my sweet mother came in, <laughs> and they met my mom, and they're going, "This is the monster you were talking about." <laughs> but. Kim and other people knew that me and my friends got a lot of these just demerits you know and so i was pretty sure we had a bad reputation but i called and to call her i had to call her sister who graduated with me and i called her sister and said it's me this is after graduation do you remember me and she said yeah not real enthusiastic (laughs) and uh, well i'm looking for your sister's phone number she gave it to me we hang up and these were the days before call waiting or any of that. So if you dial another number and there's somebody else on there, it's busy. You get the busy signal. So I immediately dial her number and I get a busy signal. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's her sister calling her, saying this creep's going to call you and ask you to go out. You know, He's a loser. Don't go. That's, my, that's what's going on in my mind. So I call her sister back, and it's busy. This confirms for me what's what's going on. Uh-huh. But I do call Kim, and I say, hey, it's me. Do you remember me? And she says, yeah, again, not enthusiastic. And I, and I ask her out. And she says this. This is where the dispute comes in. She says, uh, well, I think we're having a family reunion that day. And I go, well, when will you know if you're having a family reunion? <laughs> and because i'm asking her out for next week it's not like i'm asking her for a year from now okay when will you know if you're having a family reunion and she says in a couple days i go all right i'll call you back in a couple days well i find out that that was blowing blowing me off but i was too dense to catch that and i called her and i said so are you having a family reunion and she says yeah we're having a family reunion so and then her voice trails off and the so means so get lost. That's what that is. <laughs> and then I say to her, well, how do I know, why do I think even if you weren't having a, having a family reunion, you wouldn't want to go? And she says, well, I, I think I would. And I say, well, what makes you think you would? And she says, well, what are we going to be doing? Is there going to be drinking involved? And I go, hey, you've got it all wrong. I don't drink. I've never had any drink. In fact, I'm thinking about going into ministry. I start giving her my resume. And she's thinking, this dude is making all of this up. But my fears about her thinking we were rabble-rousers was all true. She did think that. I talked her into going out with me. We were married in 85. And um, that is how the Lord providentially put us in place and together in order to be a part of founding community. Growing up in Christian home, both of us, meeting through school, and getting married, going to Huron and Flat Rock, and then them ultimately kicking us out to start this church. Now, you see in the middle of page one there, it says, While attending a local university, that would be a Wayne State, and serving in his local church, Ken committed to pursue formal training for vocational ministry. Upon graduation from college, I went to Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary in 85. We joined uh, Huron, and there we served for 16 years, the last nine of those on pastoral staff. I graduated from DBTS in '95, and I've got to finish a paper still for that Westminster Seminary Doctor of Ministry, it's called, to uh, get that done. Okay? So that's how our church started. That's who we are. If you'll turn to page three, or excuse me, page two, we want you to know how this Baptist church became community bible church and that's what this few paragraphs is there i'm not going to read it but in january of 2013 so just three and a half years ago the church voted to change our name from community baptist church to community bible church and we explain there why and also on our website under the about us section we explain that we did that and why we did it so just briefly here's why we are Baptists. We believe Baptist doctrine. So why did we change the name? The reason is there are, and I don't know how to put this politely, are just a lot of crazy Baptist stuff. There. And a lot of people have met crazy Baptists that we don't want to be confused with. So that's why, we, that's why we did that. There's the King James-only Baptists, you know. There's the legalistic Baptists, you know, women can't wear slacks and all kinds of rules like that. And uh, a lot of people have had bad experiences with them. They see community Baptists, and, they're, and they think, many people think uh, this, that if you've been to one Catholic church, you've been to them all. And they think the same thing about Baptist churches. If they've had a bad experience at a Baptist church, If you've been to one, you've been to them all, because that's the way it is with Catholic churches. Well, it's it's not the case we know with Baptists. They're all independent and different, but the average guy out there doesn't know that. So we wanted to distance ourselves from that, but we really go out of our way to make clear that we're not distancing ourselves from what we believe. We're not trying to hide what we believe. We're just trying to accommodate people who have a misunderstanding about what, what Baptists are. So the church voted, when we moved into this building, in February of 2013, the month before that to put on our sign community bible church okay all right top of page uh, three the vision of our church and the mission of our church sometimes those are used interchangeably uh, but we differentiate between them Uh, for us vision is what you want to be and mission is what you're going to do because of who you are and so what do we want to be we simply want to be a healthy community of faith But then that raises the question, what's that look like? What is the profile of a healthy church? And you see those seven bullet points there, the seven vital signs of a healthy church. The next week, we're going to go through those uh, together. So we're going to go through those seven. That's lesson, our lesson for next week. But for now, just that's what we strive to be: those seven, seven things. And then our mission is what we do as a result of who we are. And you see the box in the middle of page three. Our mission is to help people learn about God, love Him and others, and live for, for His purpose. Now, bottom of page, uh, bottom of page three. All things being equal, healthy churches grow. If by God's grace we're the kind of church we ought to be, then no. Numerical growth will follow. Now, when I say all things being equal, if you live in a town, um, a rural town of 200 people, you know, and you've got 100 of them going to your church, you're doing quite well, right? And how much growth can you expect out of that? Well, not much. That's why I say all things being equal. If you live in a metropolitan area like we do, where people can drive up to, say, 30 minutes to, to come to a church because of the road system and all of that, and you've got tens of thousands of people around you, then uh, you can have a reasonable expectation of growing if you're healthy. Uh, so our objective is not numerical growth. Our objective is health. We want to be healthy, and then if we're healthy as a byproduct of that, we expect, we expect to grow. All right, page four, the beliefs of our church. Our Baptist, and in fact we make that clear with that acrostic that maybe some of you have seen in the past Baptists and the letters of that word each representing a distinctive of what Baptists believe biblical authority and autonomy of the church priesthood and believer and so on now it's not that Baptists are the only people who believe any of these other, there are other denominations that believe for example in biblical authority um, but Baptists are the only ones who believe all of these So you could select some of these, and other churches, non-Baptist churches, believe these, but Baptists believe all of these. And so, for example, uh, two church offices. You see that under the first T there, two offices in the church, pastor and deacon? Uh, A Presbyterian church does not believe that. They don't believe there are only two church offices. Because in addition to those local church offices... If you know how Presbyterian churches are structured, they have what's called a session that's uh, above the the local church. And so the church is not autonomous. That's the second one. It doesn't do its own governing, but you have a, a presbytery, a session, they call it, above the church that does that. And you've got those people that are the presbyters that are officers as, as well. So that's an example of what I mean when... Presbyterian churches, some of them are, are terrific. Um, in Gospel preaching, Bible believing. But, uh, and so they believe in biblical authority and so on. But only Baptists believe all of these. Now, our entire statement of faith is included in your notebook. And that's Appendix A. And in this class, we don't go through the, the statement of faith. Um, we give it to you um, because it's tough sledding to go through it. If you, uh, I do encourage you to review it. If there are any particular doctrines that are of great import to you, you want to see if we hold those or some things that you're afraid of to make sure we don't hold those, then you could look at our Statement of Faith. And, of course, if you have any questions about any of that, uh, let me know. Okay? All right, we're going to look at page five and the fact that we seek to be an intentional church. But before we do, anything, any questions? Everything okay so far? That's where we've come from. That's how our church came to be. Now we want to get into the kind of church that we're trying to be. In this lesson, in our remaining time, we want to look at the fact that we strive to be an intentional church. I'll explain what that means. And then next week, a healthy church. And the third week, two weeks from today, a committed, uh, excuse me, a growing church. And the fourth week, a committed church. So it will be those four things we're looking at. An intentional church, a healthy church, a growing church, and a committed church. Today, an intentional church. And I say at the top of page five, our mindset is intentional. Now, I'm not going to read through all of the stuff that we have in these following pages, but I I do want to explain uh, the essence of what's there to you. the top of page five, when we say our mindset is intentional, we say there that we all have an idea of what we think a church should be. Most of us do. Most people in our culture at least have a vague idea of church, even if they didn't attend church. They have some vague idea of what it's supposed to be. And then if you did grow up in church, then you have some idea of what you think church ought to be. When we started community, we had the opportunity to step back and evaluate what we think the Bible teaches about what a church ought to be. So rather than simply incorporating everything that we had done in our prior churches, the core group that started this church spent several months trying to step back and take a fresh, objective look at what the Bible says a church ought to be. And what came out of that for us was that our uh, our structure here is different than the churches from which the core group came. Now, Huron, our church in Rock. Uh, their structure is slightly different than our structure now need to hasten to add it's not worse than our structure i don't mean that i certainly don't mean it's bad by any means Uh, but we're going to see here in a minute a lot of the things we do in our churches are things we do as matters of convenience or wisdom they're not things the bible tells you you have to do so many of our churches have midweek meetings wednesday night meetings but you're not going to find that in the bible so that doesn't mean you shouldn't that's a bad thing to do it's just that it's not mandated in the bible that you have a wednesday program we have sunday school but you don't have sunday school in the in the bible either but you do have to have some way you're going to teach your kids and all that so sunday school is a good way to do it and that's why it was developed a couple hundred years ago but it was developed a couple hundred years ago not two thousand years ago not when the church was was founded so if we don't step back a little bit and think about all of those things that we do then we can if we're not careful assume that that was the way it was when the church was founded two thousand years ago and what happens with that if you're not careful is you become traditionalistic tradition is a good thing but traditionalism is not now what's the difference Tradition, one person has said this, tradition is the living faith of the dead. That is, it's their faith passed on to us. And thank God we have that. We have their testimonies in scripture, but also in church history. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. That's people who just do it the way they've done it because we've always done it that way. And we've never thought about why we do it that way. And so I'm trying to press on that. From the beginning we try to have a mindset that says, okay, why do we do that? And is that something we should do? And is that going to help us uh, advance the objectives of the church? And one of the key principles that we've used at our church is this, middle of page five, function versus form. And you'll hear that if you stick around at our church over the next few years. You'll hear me say this every so often. So here's what it is. The New Testament gives us the functions that we're to perform. But it doesn't give us the forms in order to carry them out. Now, to make that easier, uh, it tells us what to do, but not how to do it. The New Testament tells you the function, what to do. But it doesn't give you the form, how to do it. Very rarely does the Bible give you And explicit, this is how you're to do it. It just tells you what to do. So, for example, the Bible uh, instructs us to evangelize. Well, how do we do that? Do you have Sunday morning go door to door? That's one way to do that. That's a way to do that. That's a form of carrying out evangelism. And that's a fine way, but it's just a way. And there's nowhere in the Bible that it says to do it that way. Or meet before Wednesday night, if you have a Wednesday night. And go early and, you know, go and follow up on people and all of that. So those are all forms of carrying out the functions that the Bible gives us. The Bible's big on the one, but not so much on the other. And toward the bottom of page 5, you have some those three bullet points. Whereas you survey the New Testament, you find that functions, that is what we're to do, are most often given without any way to do it. And the forms, that is the ways to do it, that are given, are often partial and incomplete. So here's an example, Acts 5.42. We're told that the apostles taught. That's what they did. That's the function. And they did it from house to house. That's the way they did it. But we're not told, get this, we're not told whether they taught in every house or just some. Whether they taught both believers and unbelievers, whether they went were inside or outside the house, whether neighbors were invited, we're, we're not told any of that, okay? And then if you look at that third bullet, the forms for the same, very same function often vary from one context to another. Again, Acts 5.42, we're told the apostles, in addition to teaching from house to house, also taught in the temple courts. So they had two different ways that they went about about doing this. So given all of that, you can't absolutize forms. You can't absolutize this is the way you do it. Because... The forms, the way you do it, are often not described. They're often incomplete, and even in the Bible, they uh, would change. Now, why would why would uh, God do that? Why would God give us Scripture, tell us what to do, but not be so specific on how to do it? Here's my theory on that: because uh, the Great Commission is a worldwide mission. And the truth is, the way you do things, the way you do things, the forms you use in 2016 America are not the same forms you use in Tanzania or Zambia. It's a worldwide mission, and so God has not locked you into these are the times you meet and all that. In other cultures, meeting on Sunday at a particular time, like 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, might not be the best time. Depending on if they're farmers or you know whatever it is they've whatever it is they've got to they've they've got to do. So my theory as to why God didn't give us a lot on how to do it is because how you do it uh, will have to change from culture to culture. Now I need to add this because it's extremely important. Having said that, God has not explicitly told us the forms how to do it. We have to use wisdom through a biblical lens in choosing how we do it that's what he's left us to do but that doesn't mean here's the important part that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how you do it how you do it does matter if you're not careful you can take what i've said and many of our churches today do this they they would amen everything i've just said yeah you're right brother we we got to choose how to do it and what that means for them is we can do it any then anything goes and so churches are entertaining. Churches are changing worship to be something other than what the Bible describes worship to be. Because people have adopted this anything goes since God has not given us the specific ways to do it. Now, I'm going to address that whole worship thing uh, a couple of times in our weeks together because it's a very important issue for us. Okay. All right. So we have this mindset that is intentional and and that means we understand that god requires us to determine how it is that we're going to go about his work in a way that honors him and then bottom of page six our structure is intentional as well so out of that intentional mindset comes a structure that's intentional A healthy church is going to be structured that is it's going to develop ways forms to facilitate these uh, three functions learning Loving and living for God's purpose. And a failure to balance those is the product of an unhealthy church. Now, what do I what do I mean by that? If you look back up on page six in the middle there, you see that long passage in italics, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47? That tells us how the very first church in Jerusalem functioned. And it says there that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's learning, and to the fellowship. So that's relational. That's loving one another. That's where we get this learn, love, live idea. And then they're carrying out the Great Commission because um, they uh, the Lord added to their number daily. Bottom of that uh, passage, there, last verse, the Lord added to their number daily those who were who were being saved. And in fact, verse forty seven uh, actually says. We have it there, praising God and, notice this, enjoying the favor of all the people. So they were doing the learning, the loving, and the living, all three of those. Now, I say, for the bottom of page six, if you don't have all three of those in roughly equal balance, you'll be unhealthy. You see the bullet points? Learning experiences with the Word, relational experiences with others, witnessing experiences with the world. You guys see that? All right. So out of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42... You get these three functions, learn, love, and live. And here's what Acts two forty-two through 47 are telling us, that this healthy church in Jerusalem had learning experiences with the Word of God. That is, they continued in the Apostles' teaching, relational experiences with others. They had fellowship, including praying, eating, sharing, and praising. And then they had witnessing experiences with the world. Now look at those three. If you've had any church experience in your background, you have seen churches that have one of those. But maybe not the other two. If you've got a church that's big on learning experiences with a word, but not relational experiences, that church will have a feel of just a seminar every week. Or you can have churches, and that's by the way, guys who go to seminary, that's that's the hazard for them. Okay. We went to seminary, we want you to know we got our money's worth. So <laughs> every week it's a seminar, okay? Or you can have churches that are big on relationships but not big on teaching the Word of God. When I grew up as a Pentecostal, that's what we were. We were the most loving people, hugging all the time. You know, it was just a big reunion every time everybody came together and loving each other. We had no idea what the Bible taught about love. We didn't teach much of the Bible, but everybody everybody loved each other. Or you can have people that, churches that are big on witnessing. You know, you got some churches where it is all about evangelizing. And so every service is an evangelistic service. But the church in Jerusalem had all three of those going on. Learning, loving, and living. Uh, Relational, excuse me, learning, relational, and witnessing experience. If you're going to be healthy, you have all those. So we tried to structure our church, bottom of page six, to have all of those. And that's why our mission statement is that. We exist to help people learn about God, love him and others and live for purpose. Bottom of page six, achieving those requires we structure our ministry accordingly. That is, we need to create forms that help us carry out those functions. And top of page seven, it all begins by helping people learn about God, including those who do not know Him. We've intentionally structured our ministry in order to reach and assimilate folks into our church by establishing a forum to address the unchurched now i want you to know what that is because our structure here is intentional to address people who don't know jesus and aren't churched you've been coming for several months you're going how is that i i haven't seen that or i haven't been clued into that so explain it to me well if you've been at a Evangelical church, a Baptist church in the past. Probably Sunday school came first, and then worship. And then here we got this weird thing where we have worship at 9.30, and then we have, right now as I speak, the Sunday school class. So why is that? Well, that's part of our intentional structure. And here's why we do it that way. This hour is called for the adults, the Discovering God Hour. That's what we call it. And generally three times a year, in January, after Easter, and then in the fall, we do a series, I do a series in the auditorium during that second hour that is designed for unchurched people to come to them. You guys came in September of last year. We were doing a marriage series. That's why. Okay, That's why we did the marriage series then. This September, starting September 11th, September 11th is on a Sunday this year, we're doing a parenting series. So that's going to be an outreach series. And we'll have unchurched, we always have unchurched people who come to that. Now, our church people attend it as well. So the cool thing about these series is it helps people who are in our church, but also people who are outside of the church, see what the, God says about these important matters. We use that as a platform then to contact people but also point them to the gospel through the through the matters we're addressing uh, from the bible that we've invited them to the reason we do it second hour not first hour is because if you're an unchurched person what do you say when you talk to people who don't go to church they say sunday's my only day to what sleep in so we said okay we christians won't sleep in we'll come early for worship and then we'll let you come later At 11 o'clock. That's that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we flipped it, was to make it possible for unchurched people to come. Now, notice the thing we're inviting them to is not the worship service. We're inviting them to a, a class with no music, no passing of the hat, none of that. And the reason is worship is not for unbelievers. So we do not structure our worship service for unbelieving people. We structure our worship service for Christians because unbelievers cannot worship. Have you ever thought about that? Unbelievers can't worship. And what you've got happening in our churches is the worship service has been transformed into a seeker service so that the elements of the service are all for people who can't actually worship. So everything we do at 930 is all designed for believers and then 11 o'clock is designed discovering God to be a major time for people to come and hear what the Bible has to say about these important topics. Now, the rest of page seven is just telling you you see that pattern of using these kinds of forums like Discovering God in the Bible. Uh, historically, the church has done those kinds of things. And then, if you look at page eight, Discovering God up at the top of page eight, having a regular time to communicate with unbelievers is a good idea. However, the worship service is the wrong time to do it because worship is for believers. Unbelievers, by definition, cannot worship. Given that, in our culture, most are inclined to consider spiritual matters on Sunday morning. We thought it wise to offer a service on Sunday morning, but separate from worship, at which we could address unbelievers. And the result is discovering God. 11 o'clock, for the reason I gave, it's a classroom setting, and the presentation is guest-sensitive. Now, you see that? Two words, guest-sensitive in quotes not seeker sensitive how many people are seeking god according to the Bible? there is no one who seeks god no not one so if you really have a seeker service guess who shows up okay so that's why we say guest sensitive okay um and what i mean by that is care is taken to communicate in language that the unchurched can understand so i try to do that i just try to talk in regular language as best i can uh, when I refer to, when I refer to the Bible, I just say God says. I don't say Paul says. I don't say Moses says. Cause this person may not even know who Paul is. So I just say the Bible says or God says. And then, and then there it is. So I, I do that. The unchurched are invited to come in formally. So from day one, 15 years ago, we decided that we were, we were going to, uh, set a standard for, for dress here that would not unnecessarily create a barrier for people to be able to come in. um um, and so you see when you come to our church here what that's resulted in you've got the whole gamut here which is exactly what we had hoped would happen no offering is taken because you know the unchurched person is saying to themselves they want my money so when they come not only do we not ask for the money we don't even pass the hat for that discovering god hour if they happen to show up at 9 30 you hear what i say every week if you're a guest just pass it to the person next to you not only don't we ask you for anything we give you something we give you a gift Okay? So they can't truthfully say that about us. Then notice there's no music. It's a class. So we don't have to worry about our music being cool for unsaved people. Um, and then topics are chosen to address the unchurched. And in lesson three, we have a list of those topics, but it's things like the marriage thing and the parenting thing and, and stuff like that. All right, mindset's intentional, our structure's intentional. And then lastly, our schedule is intentional. We work within the church year on our 12-month calendar. And we lay out events strategically on the calendar to help people come in, get to know us, and then put their toe in the water and then put their foot in, and then get assimilated into the, into the life of the church. And we try to make that as easy as we can for, for folks. So we work within the church year. Fall is a good time to have a series because that's back to church, back to school, back to church time. Vacations are over, all that stuff. January, New Year's resolutions, I'm going to lose some weight, I'm going to get my finances together, and I'm going to go to church. Okay, (laughs) something like that. Spring after Easter, you get the Easter crowd that comes, and then you say, next week we're starting this. To invite those people to come back. And then you notice the last one summer is useless, I okay. said. So, for church purposes, the summer is almost useless. You got vacation Bible school, and that's about it. Because kids are out of school, everybody's going on vacations, and all that. So, we don't try a lot of outreach initiatives in the summer. We do vacation Bible school, but that's the reason. We schedule events strategically. We've got move-in introductory events. You see a bunch of those listed. Then we've got settle-in events, top of page 9. And then we've got fit-in events. And these will be put in on our calendar. Now get this, around those Discovering God series. So when we do a Discovering God series, September 11th, do the parenting series. A few weeks after that, we're going to have a family event to just invite people to. Our hayride. We have a family hayride. And we do that about a month after that series starts because, on purpose, person comes, they're coming to the parenting series, they get to know some of our people, and then they go, you know, how can I get to know these guys a little better? And we invite them to bring their family to this hayride, and that just gives them an easy way to, to do that. Then, a couple months later, we schedule a baptism. Why? Because at that parenting series, after I get into it for about four or five weeks, i'll start making some announcements and i'll say our next baptism is going to be on this date and if you've never been baptized you need to come and talk to me about that and then i get people come and say well you know i was a baby and i was baptized does that count and i say hey let's talk about that and that's the way it goes so we schedule our calendar around these outreach discovering god series okay all right that's it uh trying to be an intentional church mindset's intentional structure's intentional schedule is intentional next week We'll look at trying to be a healthy church. Okay, bring these books back with you, and we're five minutes over.